0: Weeks. Uh, this week, we're concluding the series on forgiveness that we've been working through, and we know that forgiveness is kind of one of those subjects. It's kind of uh, a little, a little messy, a little sticky. It gets hard in a lot of ways, and yet it's really, really important for us. Um, Jesus said in Matthew six fifteen, said if you, uh, but it, but if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. And so it's like, uh, wow, Jesus, that's, like, that's a big deal. I mean, for me to get God's forgiveness, which I need desperately, so what you're saying, Jesus, is, is for me to get God's forgiveness, I need to forgive other people. And Jesus is like, yeah, that's exactly it. See, there's a, a freedom found when we forgive others. And God doesn't want us to walk all bound up, hunched over, right? Puckered up with unforgiveness, with the, the weight that that puts on our lives. Because God has plans for us. He has work He wants us to do. He has a life He wants us to live free, not chained down with unforgiveness. And yet, forgiveness is one of those, again, it's one of those topics, it's one of those uh, concepts that we like the idea of. We certainly want others to forgive us. But boy, we wrestle with forgiving other people. And uh, and so in order to help us with that, we want to look um, at a story in the Bible of a character who really had to deal with some tough issues in order to get to forgiveness. Um, we do get offended pretty easily, and it uh, seems like the more pressure we're under, the more stressed we are, the easier we are to offend, and we kind of live in a culture, it just seems like not that we want to be, but maybe we're a little more thin-skinned than we uh, maybe, uh, you know, generations in the past. I don't know if that's true, but we certainly seem uh, to get offended and hurt and wounded real easy. And, and a lot of times that comes from the relationships that we're closest to. You know, like the people that we're around all the time. Uh, like, you know, like our family, right? It can be a little difficult. Sometimes, uh, man, we just things just grind on us, irritate us, get on our skin. And pretty soon it seems like we're just kind of living in a constant state of irritation. Uh, like the two Jewish boys, uh, they were, had a long standing feud their whole lives. And so they went to the rabbi and, and said, rabbi, you got to help us. We got to get through this. We just can't get along. We can't work with each other. And rabbi said, okay. And so he started talking to him. Boy, they made some progress and he got them to the place where they actually reconciled. They apologized to each other. They shook hands And he said, man, this is great. Before you guys leave, I want you to um, make a wish uh, uh, to each other in honor of the Jewish New Year that's coming up. And so the first brother said, okay, looked at his brother and said, I wish for you what you wish for me. To which the other brother said, see, Rabbi, there he goes. He's starting up again. No? No? hey, listen, uh, we can be real easily offended. It can be hard for us. And that can seem like sometimes it's petty things and little things, but sometimes it's real deep, serious issues where we've been wounded and hurt, damaged um, in some very serious ways that go very deep to the core of who we are. And so God... Jesus said, right, in Matthew, listen, he didn't put qualifiers on it. He said, very blanket statement, if you want God's forgiveness, you must forgive others, and that's it. He would say, well, if, oh, well, if they've done these things, then you don't need to forgive them. Or, you know, it's like, uh, there's, there's no qualifiers on it, so we got to figure this out. And I thought one of the stories from Scripture that can help us with it is the story of Joseph. Um, Joseph had to wrestle with some real difficult issues some real evil that was done to him at the hands of his family, of all things. Joseph, um, we find his story in the book of Genesis, and if you want to kind of turn to Genesis 50, that's where we're going to be. We're just looking at a short couple of verses. But the story of of Joseph starts uh, before that, and we really see Joseph come into the world. His father is Jacob. And Jacob was the third in line of uh, the people of God, kind of they're, they're called the patriarchs of the Hebrew people. See, God chose Abraham, you remember, and made a covenant with him and said, Abraham, I'm gonna, make you, I'm gonna give you land, I'm gonna give you a seed and a blessing, I'm gonna bless the world through you. And so God began to fulfill that and, and the way in which he did it was he gave uh, Abraham a son, Isaac. And Isaac then had uh, a couple of boys, but Jacob was one of them. And Jacob then had 12 sons. Joseph was the second to the youngest. Joseph grew up as kind of the favorite of his father for a long time. His dad really liked him, favored him, gave him some special gifts, kind of elevated him. He kind of hung around the house a little bit more, uh, you know, with dad. And, and so he got this special privilege position of which, of course, his older brothers just loved that, Right? I love that little Joe is getting treated special by dad. Boy, that just makes brothers warm up, have warm, fuzzy feelings to their little brother. Yeah, no, they really didn't care for him and they got kind of disgruntled about it. And then Joseph was also kind of a a little braggadocious and, you know, God gave him some dreams and those dreams kind of made it look like he was gonna be kind of a ruler over his brothers. And so instead of keeping that to himself, he shared it with them, you know. So, boy, that just made him love him even more. They got so disgruntled, so angry, so bitter towards him that it really got them to the place where they wanted to get rid of him. They kind of talked amongst themselves, you know, talked about Joseph. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Somebody nobody likes at work, start talking about him. It usually doesn't help your attitude towards them, right? So his brothers did that, and they got to the point where they literally wanted to take his life. He came one day looking for him on an errand from daddy, and uh, as he was approaching, they said, man, you know, this is our opportunity. We need to get rid of this guy. And so they plotted to kill him. Well, one of the brothers, Reuben, talked him out of that, but said, hey, instead, let's sell him into slavery. And so they trafficked their brother, Joseph, sold him to some a a traveling caravan caravan that was headed to Egypt. And so here's Joseph, um, yanked out of his life, his wonderful life that he enjoyed, and he's on a caravan destined to become a slave in Egypt. Can't imagine what was going through his mind and heart as he made that journey. But he gets to Egypt, and then uh, a pretty high-up official, pretty important official called Potiphar, he buys Joseph and uh, puts him into employment in his, in his home. And he had a pretty large house, pretty large estate. Well, Joseph somehow doesn't get hung up on the fact that his brother sold him, right? The evil that was done to him. Somehow, he continues to move forward. He has to work through something to do this, but he, he starts to work. He, he continues to serve, and pretty soon Potiphar sees in him somebody that has a lot of promise, who's a leader, who has a lot of ability, and pretty soon, Joseph finds his way into leadership and Potiphar puts him in charge of his whole house. And he's doing a great job. Handling things ethically, working hard. His, his boss, is uh, his business and his home is flourishing and growing. But then Potiphar's wife gets an eye for Joseph and starts to make advances to him. And Joseph does the right thing. He says no to her. And what does he get for his good behavior? Well, she accuses him of rape or attempted rape, and Potiphar believes her. And because he's an important official, when he throws him in prison, he ends up in the king's prison. And while he's there, again, he doesn't get hung up completely on what's happened to him. The injustice has been done to him. The evil that has been perpetrated on him meant to destroy him. He keeps a good attitude. He keeps working hard. He continues to flourish where he's at. And pretty soon, he finds his way into leadership once again. And in the prison, the guy in charge of the prison puts him in command. And Joseph continues to try to do the right thing. Has a good attitude against all odds. And while he's in there, because it's a king's prison, a couple of the king's employees get thrown in prison, the baker and the cupbearer, and one day they have dreams, and Joseph... Because God has given him the ability and gifted him, he, he's able to give them the interpretation of the dreams and the baker's dream, not so good. He's gonna lose his head. But the cupbearer, his dream means he's gonna get out, reinstated. And Joseph says, hey man, please remember me when you get out, I helped you here. You know, you, you've worked with me, you've seen me. I'm, I'm not a bad guy, but I'm, I'm in here in prison unjustly. Would you please just put in a good word for me? Tell somebody. And of course cupbearer forgets about him. But two years later, when the timing was right, Pharaoh has some dreams that he can't sleep. They're disturbing him. And the cupbearer remembers Joseph at the right time. And Joseph ends up in front of Pharaoh, interpreting some dreams for him through the power of God. And Pharaoh says, wow, I believe you're accurate. And the dreams are predicting a time of plenty seven years and seven years of famine. So we need to gather up and store all the food, the seven years of plenty, so we're ready for the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh says, I think you're the guy to do the job. And so Joseph goes from prison to being second in command in Egypt. He's doing his job, minding his own business, seven years of plenty, he stores it all away. Then the famine hits, and people are coming from all over the world looking for food. And one day, who shows up in front of him but his brothers, the ones who sold him into slavery. And Joseph reacts to their presence differently than we might expect. Now they don't know who he is, and so there's some time that he takes to work through practically forgiving them and and working through how he's going to handle them. And we see kind of the painful, awkward process he goes through in the scriptures. I'd encourage you to read that story if you're not familiar with it. It's hard, it's tough, but in spite of the evil that has been done to him by these brothers, Joseph, because he knows the truth of God, is able to respond to them differently than we would expect, differently than maybe we would be able to do if we were in his shoes. See, Joseph has learned the truth about God when it comes to how we're supposed to handle wrongs that have been done against us. It would seem that this knowledge has been passed down um, over, a little over 2,000 years, through 2,300 years, six generations, that Joseph has been taught this truth about God, probably from his dad, Jacob. See, Adam, to Methuselah, to Noah, to Abraham, to Jacob, to Joseph, 2,300 years, six generations. The truth that Joseph understands is one that we have to have firmly rooted in our hearts and minds. The truth is this, we must understand, like Joseph did, that judgment is God's business. Judgment is God's business. If you and I want to walk free from the pain of the evil that has been done to us that's meant to destroy us, we have to understand this truth. Otherwise, we'll get caught up in a way of living and responding to the evil done to us that will destroy our lives. It will limit our ability to be able to do what God wants us to do in this life. Genesis 50, verse 19. Joseph's brothers stand before him. They now know who he is. They've worked through the process of the relationship. They're still fearful of him, as they probably should be, That he's going to do something to them. He's in a power position. They're in front of him, as most of us would want their enemies. They're in front of Joseph on their knees, and they need his help. And he has all the power in the world to deal with them. And so out of fear, they're wondering, Joseph, what are you going to do? Please don't harm us. Please don't hold us accountable. Please don't punish us for what we did. And Joseph says in 5019 of Uh, chapter 50, verse 19 of Genesis, but Joseph replies to them, don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? Moses wrote this down 400 years or so after Joseph, this truth about judgment and punishment and handling wrongs. He wrote what Joseph articulates. Joseph understood that punishment, he goes, I'm not God. What do you think, I can punish you? That's God's business. Deuteronomy 32, 35, God speaking here. Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing this down, the truth of God. God says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. In due time, their feet will slip, their day of disaster will arrive, and their destiny will overtake them. God says to the nation of Israel, don't worry about the people that have wronged you, the evil that has been been done to you by them. I will take care of it. Solomon also articulates this same sentiment in Proverbs 24, 28, and 29. Don't testify against your neighbors without cause. Don't lie about them. Next he says, and don't say, now I can pay them back for what they've done to me. I'll get even with them. Don't do that. That's a trap that you're going to step in. When you have been wronged, when evil has been done against you, even if its intention was to kill you and destroy you, don't get caught up in revenge. Don't get caught up in even trying to enact justice, right? The judgment piece of getting back at people. God says, that's my job. Let me do it. I'll take care of it. We must get this truth down we must be able to walk in this, we must be able to live this out if we're really to walk free from the sin that wants to grab a hold of us and pull us into subjugation to it. Our actions, our emotions, we've got to release the person from the offense, the evil, the hurt that they've done to us, and allow God to work that out in the right way. God encourages us in the scriptures. Rather than seeking vengeance, rather than seeking even justice, we are to love mercy. We're to love forgiveness. We're to be able to show that to others and and willingly, with a generous spirit, give that away to people, even those who have wronged us. The truth is, the scriptures make it clear that people will harm you, but God has a plan for you. As we move on in the story of Joseph, he goes on to say this to his brothers in verse 20. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. In other versions, he says this what you, to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good evil will come to you at the hands of others, sometimes the hands of people that should not have evil desires towards you or intentions. Sometimes it'll be family. Sometimes it'll be friends. It also might be enemies, though. It might be people in positions of power. But you're going to experience evil. If you haven't yet, I promise you will, it's part of life. It's part of living in a sinful world. We live in a fallen world where people are influenced by evil and sin, and so are you, so am I. And so we're not gonna walk through unscathed. It's kind of silly to think that we will. It's more important that we're prepared to handle it. We're prepared to deal with it. And Joseph, it's probably impossible to articulate and dig into the process he had to go through over the many years of his life, experiencing much evil directed at him, things done to him unjustly, unfairly, meant to destroy him, even kill him, how he processed all of that to come to the place to say to his brothers, what you meant for evil, what you meant to do to me to destroy me, God meant it for good. The question comes down to this. When you are treated by someone else with evil intent, when you are harmed, when you're damaged, when you're hurt, when someone tries to kill you, destroy you, hurt you, do wrong to you, a key question is will you allow that hurt, that thing, that injustice to become the focus of your life? Will you focus on the wrong, on the person that intended to do evil towards you? Will their actions, the pain they've caused, consume your life? Whatever you focus on, will consume your life. So are you going to choose as a result of wrong being done to you to hold on to it, to harbor it? We call that a grudge, right? To seek to get back at them at some point or at the very least pray (laughs) that total destruction will come on their life. Are you gonna live out of that hurt and pain? Or, like Joseph... Was able to do as he navigated life and a life of wrong, keep his focus on God. You and I have a choice to make in this life when evil is done to us. We can either focus on the evil and the pain that it causes, or we can focus on God. We can keep our eyes on Jesus. We can realize that God's plans for us can and will be fulfilled, and they're good plans. There are plans for you to do good in this world. And those can be fulfilled and will be fulfilled as we look at the life of Joseph, not just in spite of the things that are done to us, but even using those things. See, the sovereignty of God is seen in the life of Joseph. It's one of the most powerful examples. God is sovereign over all things. His will is going to be accomplished. But part of what we also see is the free will or human choice of man. As Joseph chooses to handle the situation the right way, he chooses to continue to move forward and not get stuck in the pain of the evil done to him. He makes a choice there. He continues to move forward and trust God and work hard and not live out of that pain and not be stopped by it. And even though he struggles to forgive his brothers in the end, what he articulates, I think, is the most powerful demonstration of the sovereignty of God. And that, and that is when he says, you guys, my brothers, what you meant to harm me, to kill me, you meant it as evil towards me. God intended good. It's a miracle to be able to see life that way. To be able to see the purpose and plan of God or trust it anyway in the midst of the pain and suffering in life, in the midst of the wrongs that people do to us. See, Joseph, God's plan for him, the dreams he gave him of being a ruler and overseeing great things, it required that he get to Egypt. Now, God did not cause his brothers to sell him into slavery. Sometimes we think that when evil happens to us, the sovereignty of God means that God has caused it I will argue vehemently against that. God is not evil and evil doesn't come from God. But we, we live in a world that is evil. But the power of God is to use even the things meant to harm us to accomplish his will in our lives. The trick is that we don't focus on the pain that the evil caused. We keep our eyes on Jesus. Joseph had to get to, he had to get to Egypt to accomplish God's will. And so he did an evil act done meant to kill him, to harm him, ended up landing him in the place God wanted him. And Potiphar's wife, accusing him falsely of attempted rape, ruined, could have ruined his life, could have destroyed him, landed him in prison. But what prison? The king's prison. Do you know God needed to get him in front of Pharaoh in the right moment at the right time? God did not cause Pharaoh's wife to accuse him falsely, but God used what was done to him, meant to destroy him, to get him in a place where God could then elevate him at the right moment to stand in front of Pharaoh and to interpret his dreams and to be catapulted into a place of position and influence. Again, not for Joseph, but so Joseph could change the world. See, forgiveness, one of the reasons it's so powerful is that it frees us to do God's work. It frees us to do God's work. Easter, just last weekend and um, as in preparation for Easter, we study all the things that took place and one of the things is Judas' betrayal. And we see that Judas was filled with, uh, I mean Satan entered Judas, the devil entered him and he went about a process of betraying Jesus and ensuring that he was turned over to the officials who would then move for Jesus' crucifixion. And I asked somebody as I was thinking through it, you know, the devil's plan was to kill God. That was his plan. And I said, did the devil win? Did he accomplish what he wanted? And the answer is yes. The devil wanted to kill Jesus, and he did. The crazy thing in the power and sovereignty of God is that even though the devil won, he lost Because he just played into the purpose and plan and sovereign will of God. Do you know that the same thing is true in your life? There are people that want to destroy you. There's an enemy, Satan, who wants to destroy you. But do you know that he can't accomplish it? Because God's will is gonna be done in and through you. Regardless, even because of those things that were done that were meant to destroy you. We gotta understand how the power of God works. When you belong to God, that's how it works. There is nothing that can destroy you unless you choose to focus on it. When we forgive, it releases us from the power that evil can have to destroy us. Forgiveness frees you to do God's work. Look at what, look at what Joseph says next in verse 21 to his brothers. He says, no, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Joseph was able to let it go. Release all the hurt, all the anger, all the resentment. He was able to let it go and treat his brothers with love and kindness. See, that's why God put Joseph in Egypt. It was to save many people, but very specifically to save the nation of Israel. To ensure that they could continue and they were living in a place of famine. They needed provision. And God got Joseph in a, in a position where he could save them. They all moved to Egypt. And the, the nation of Israel exploded in Egypt, growing from just a few, a handful of people to uh, likely over a million by the time they left. Free, uh, forgiveness frees us up to do God's work. We're not bound up by the hurt and the pain of what has been done to us, but we're set free, we can release it, and we can move into God's mission and plan for us. Even in our world, we're discovering the importance of forgiveness. I found an article back from 2015, but a woman by the name of Lori Johnson wrote an article titled, The Deadly Consequences of Unforgiveness. In it, she writes this, unforgiveness is classified in medical books as a disease according to Dr. Stephen Staniford, chief of surgery at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America. Says refusing to forgive makes people sick and keeps them that way. With that in mind, forgiveness therapy is now being used to help treat diseases such as cancer. It's important to treat emotional wounds Or disorders because they really can hinder someone's reactions to treatment or even their willingness to pursue it. All of cancer patients, they've discovered at this time anyway, of all of them, 61% have forgiveness issues. And of half half of those are very severe forgiveness issues. This according to research done by Dr. Michael Berry. He's a pastor. He's an author of a book called The Forgiveness Project. He says, harboring these negative emotions, this anger and hatred creates a state of chronic anxiety. And what that does in our bodies is it weakens our ability to fight against disease the way God intended our bodies to be able to do. So he says, really, the key is that a person, um, or he says, the first step in learning to forgive is to realize how much we have been forgiven by God. When a person forgives from the heart, which is the gold standard that we see in Matthew 18, they're able, they find that they're able, uh, when they forgive, they find a sense of peacefulness comes over their lives. Quite often, he said, our patients refer to that as a feeling of lightness. People don't realize often the burden they've been carrying until they let it go, until they walk into forgiveness. Mental health issues, anxiety, depression, chronic anger, they're all tied to unforgiveness. You fear people more when you're not walking in forgiveness. You're not forgiving others. Your fear of people grows and that builds anxiety in your life. Listen, the Bible tells us what to do with this. How to reverse the effects of this pain the wrong that's been done to us. Every incident of unforgiveness is tied to an act of wrong and evil, right? Something that was done to hurt you. And so discovering and walking in forgiveness is absolutely essential for us. In Romans 12, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes these words. He says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will revenge, or I will take revenge. I will repay them, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And here's the key. Don't let uh, excuse me, don't, yeah, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. When we choose to walk into forgiveness, we're making a choice not to be conquered by evil. And the, what's the antidote to being conquered by evil? It's by doing good. If you're waiting to feel like forgiving somebody that's harmed you, Um, you're going to be waiting a long time. You're not going to feel like forgiving them. Fortunately, God doesn't say, hey, wait until you feel like forgiving them and then forgive them. (laughs) He says, forgive them. It's a command. In fact, if you want my forgiveness, you will forgive them. We need that. We need that push because we won't do it otherwise. We can get caught up even in petty things. The urge to have the last word, to get... Get the person back. Like, that urge is strong. Andre Dawson, who was a baseball player back in the day, had to pay a $1,000 fine for arguing with an umpire over a strike call. In the memo line of the check, he wrote, donation for the blind. <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> hey, listen, uh, we live in this world, man, we're all in the same boat, we all have the same issues, and when things are done to us, no matter how petty they might seem, We have a desire to do something back, to get them back. You may know that's not revenge. Yeah, it is. That's that impulse to protect ourselves, to get ourselves, to right ourselves, to make sure that justice is done in our minds. And yet the danger of seeking revenge is that we get consumed by it, right? Now the evil that's done to us is consuming us and we're just doing evil like the person that did evil to us. We're supposed to overcome evil, The way we do that is by doing good. That's why Paul says, yeah, you can love your enemies. You can do good to those who persecute you. You don't have to feel warm, fuzzy feelings towards them, but you can do. That's why I'm thankful it's an action because I can take an action. I don't necessarily always feel the right feelings, right? Can't control that all the time, but boy, I can do the right thing. That's why that's how God has given it to us. Don't step into the trap of unforgiveness. Don't stay in that trap. If you want God's forgiveness, which you desperately need, then we must forgive others. We must learn to walk in forgiveness. It's the path to freedom. It's a path to sometimes healed relationships, though not always. You can forgive somebody else. uh, Somebody else, you can't make them forgive you. But see, even if someone else harbors resentment against you, unforgiveness against you, you can let let them go. You can forgive them, you can release them. Um, It's important that we grab a hold of this. That we walk in it. The devil wants to destroy us. He wants us to hold on to the hurt and the pain and live out of it no matter how trivial it might seem, but the God who created you, the God who loves you, the God who wants you to live this life the way he intended, to do the good work he designed for you to do, that God, he wants to set you free. That the effects of sin would not hold you back, but would allow you like Joseph to run forward into God's plan and to do God's will and to do God's work. As we end today, I just have a question for you. Who in here is holding on to something against someone else? Are you holding on to something? Unforgiveness. It was a hurt done a long time ago, maybe not that long time, but you're holding on to it. Would you, out of an obedience to God, release it today? If you'd bow for just a moment, I want to lead you in a prayer, a very simple prayer. This is a command from God. We're not waiting on the feelings. We're just going to act in obedience. And in acting in obedience, we can find freedom. So if you need to release them, I want to call you to it, challenge you to do it, remind you that God is waiting to release you from your wrongs until you release this person. And so I would just ask you to pray this prayer. God, out of obedience to you, I've been holding on to the wrong this person did to me. And today, because you tell me to, I forgive, put their name in there, I forgive of what they did to me. Friends, God wants to release you. Wants you to walk in freedom. I pray that you prayed that prayer today and let it go. I pray that you'll pray it again in five minutes when they come back to mind. Tomorrow when they come back to mind, God wants to set you free. Jesus, thank you for what you've done for us, the forgiveness that you offer us so freely, that we need so desperately. We want to walk in right relationship with you. We want to walk in wholeness and healing. We want to do your will in this world. We want to be set free from the wrongs done to us to to just live for you and love others and and show grace and mercy to others. So God, I just pray for every person here that you would um, give them the strength and power to release the wrongs. To forgive. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.